Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and it is December 14th. As usual, for a Wednesday, we'll be talking about the healthcare sector, and I've got healthcare contributor Todd Campbell on the line. Todd, is there anything new and exciting in your life since last Wednesday when we spoke? <laughs> no, not too much. Just battling a little bit of a cold, I suppose. And uh, well, I suppose there is one good thing. My, my son, who's in the Navy, is uh, off to Seattle for his next post. And that's pretty exciting to see him moving on to that next area of his life. Very cool. Does that mean that you get to take a trip out there? Oh, yeah. We're already starting to plan it out. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting uh, all sorts of recommendations of great places to eat and hang out. Hey, if we have any listeners out in that area, send them on into industryfocus at fool.com. Tell Todd where to go. Fantastic. So, for today's episode, we will be discussing two news items from Monday of this week one involving an eye disease drug maker's clinical trial flop, and the other one is about a management shakeup at a rare disease drug company. But first, I want to do a quick update from last week's episode and point out that Obama has officially signed the 21st Century Cures Act into law as of yesterday. As a reminder, this provides over $6 billion in spending on medical innovation, and it also streamlines the drug and device approval process at the FDA. If you missed last week's episode, you can find it at podcast.fool.com. You can also find all of The Motley Fool's podcasts on there. And while you're online, if you're interested in learning about the foolish approach to options, we've been talking about that a little bit here and there on the show, and it always gets a lot of people excited and writing in. So we have a landing page for it now, and you can check it out at fool.com slash options focus. And there's a bunch of good free material on there. Our foolish approach to options has been extremely successful, so check it out if you're interested. Todd, do you want to tee off the first topic for today? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned last week. We tried to bring some positive news uh, to biotech land, um, but we're back again this week with some negative news. And can you believe, Christine, we're talking about yet another, uh, we'll call it a high-profile trial flop? Yeah, biotech is having a rough go of it lately. It is. There's almost uh, an investor's crisis of confidence (laughs) that's building, um, especially within the, the clinical stage um, biotechnology companies. I mean, you've got some some pretty high profile uh, disappointments in, in the in the past. Well, recently we had Juno. Obviously, uh, Eli Lilly stumbled in with an Alzheimer's disease drug earlier in the year. Uh, there were some setbacks to some uh, uh, stuff that was going on at Portola Pharmaceuticals, which we discussed on the show. And you know, the latest in incarnations of this crisis of causes, if you will, is Optotech. Uh, and its failure of the um, age-related macular degeneration drug, uh, Fovista. Right. So they were testing Fovista in combination with Lucentis in uh, wet AMD, which is the age-related macular degeneration that you mentioned. This was being tested in two phase three trials across a total of 1,248 people, and it just flopped. They reported that it just, it didn't, improve anything, more or less. They were testing Lucentis alone versus the combination of Fovista and Lucentis, and the two groups were essentially the same, which is a humongous disappointment. This was a drug that a lot of people were very excited about. Novartis was partnered on the drug, and phase two data from this drug looked really fantastic. So, I think this caught yeah, a lot Christine, of people Yeah, Christine, I think guard. that's one of the reasons that this was so... You know, it's not a surprise when clinical drugs fail. I mean, even in ophthalmology alone, only 58% uh, 
of phase three trials uh, uh, succeed. So slightly better than a coin flip. So it's not it's not a complete surprise that they came up short. But if you look at the press release from the phase two B results and you read through it, it it's you it's hard to come away not feeling pretty good about it. And then you look at the fact that Novartis, after that phase two B data came out, uh, and Novartis just to give a little background, mar- markets Lucentis, which is um, one of the largest. Uh, or most commonly used drugs to treat this indication. And the fact that they were willing to, to give, you know, essentially 330 million early on, plus promises up to another 670 million just to get the outside U.S. rights to this drug. Right, that's important. That was just the ex-U.S. rights. Right. I mean, so you've got Novartis, you've got, you know, the company and industry people saying, wow, those phase 2B results were really good. Um, you've got this, this, the Novartis now, with, which is one of the most, Marcus, one of the most used drugs in the indication, saying that we think this is good enough that we're going we're gonna to license the XUS rights to it. Um, there were a lot of reasons to, for investors to feel pretty, pretty confident, more confident maybe than they would normally with coin flip um, success rates in phase three for this for for ophthalmology indications and the way that uh, you yeah, the way that you it, test this is with how many letters of vision the patient improves and uh, it's on something called the early treatment of diabetic retinopathy study standardized chart and so we'll just call them letters and so when you looked at the phase two trial the lucentis alone group those patients improved an average of six and a half letters after 24 weeks, as opposed to the combination group, which improved 10.6. So 6.5 letters versus 10.6 letters. That was definitely significant. That was a really favorable improvement. And then you look at the phase three, and this was measured after 12 months. The combination group improved 10.24 letters. So that's pretty consistent with what we saw after 24 weeks in the phase two trial. But the Lucentis group alone, the control group, improved 10.01 letters. Right. And you just brought up a great point, Christine. Yeah. The, well, so there's two ways to look at this, right? So you could say, was Lucentis just weirdly ineffective in that phase two trial? Or is the phase three trial fluky in how effective the Lucentis alone group was? Or does Lucentis efficacy improve over time? Exactly. Because they're I mean, two it, it, very different time frames. Right. Not long ago, um, Regeneron, which is another big player in the space, they make a drug called Ilia, which, by the way, does more than $5 billion in the sales, um, uh, it, it, you know, targeting ophthalmology indications. Um, they tried a drug that works similarly to Fovesta alongside their own Ilia, and that trial failed in uh, mid-stage studies. In the, but what was interesting to me about that wasn't just that it failed and it worked similarly to Fovista, which is interesting in and of itself, um, but was the fact that the, the, the letter improvement in the monotherapy arm for Ilia wasn't that great either. I mean, it was, you know, a mid, to high, mid to high single digit uh, letter improvement. So it could be that the efficacy of this class of, of anti-VEGF, so Luzentis, uh, uh, Avastin, which is widely used as well in Ilia, the efficacy just improves over time and eventually close the gap between um, the Fovesta Plus and the monotherapy arms. And I do think that the Regeneron data should have been a little bit of a warning sign for investors with this one. Um, After 
that happened on their next on Optotech's next conference call, they were actually asked, "Hey, are you bothered by this data? What do you think? Does this affect you guys going forward?" And they were essentially like, "No, we we think our drug is really good," and they just kind of moved on. But you had Regeneron doing essentially the same thing that Optotech was trying to do in this trial, taking two drugs that each worked um, in a parallel way and putting them together, and it failed back in September. So. Yeah, know. it was there was obviously very uh, prescient, and I think that, you know, I obviously I imagine that all the results were blinded obviously in the phase three trials, so it's not like management had anything other to go on than their uh, phase two B results, which obviously were very good, and mm. they could have been looking at it and saying, well, this was a phase two trial that stunk, and our phase two trial was awesome, um, and maybe that was influencing you know their their positivity uh, on on the conference call. In the end, you know, you're left with a company, a clinical stage company that once again um, shows investors the risk, the hit and miss risk uh, of investing in biotech. Yeah, I don't think we stated yet that this company fell 85 percent. 85 percent. I mean, this was an $80 stock at one point, and I think it's trading at like $5 now. Um, Just an absolute bloodbath for the for the company. And and again, the. Hit and miss. I mean, you if when you you're investing in clinical stage companies, they're usually focusing on either one indication or one mechanism of action or whatever. And that's very different than like say a lily failure where, you know, they're fairly diversified across a lot of different indications. I mean, when when something goes wrong in these clinical stage companies, it goes wrong in a bad way. And that's what makes them so exciting to watch, but there are also definitely lessons to learn every single time you see this. And I need to go on record here saying I was flat out wrong on this one. I'm a shareholder. I still am. I will probably sell my shares sometime soon, as soon as full trading rules allow me to do so after talking about it on this show. And honestly, I was kind of beating myself up over this one when I first heard the news on Monday. But I was reminded of some really good lessons for investing. You're not going to be right every single time. The best investors in the world, they only get it right 60% of the time. But the advantage here of being in it for the long haul, taking the truly foolish approach, is that you can afford to be wrong every once in a while. And your biggest winners will often more than offset your biggest losers. We talk a lot about diversification on this show, particularly the healthcare show. And that's really important here. That's important as ever. I mean, you you take one loss like this, and hopefully it's only a very small portion of your portfolio. And you can move on, learn your lessons, and hopefully have many more winners make up for it. Amen. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's the way to approach it. You know, if there's one thing that you and I have said over the course of uh, the last few months, especially on every week's show, is that you know it comes to biotech, diversify, diversify, diversify. I got stung on this one too. And um, and but again, um, it just reminds you to make sure that you do spread those eggs around. All right. So shall we cut our losses and move on? Yes. Okay. So second topic of the day for the show is a management shakeup at a rare disease company called Alexion. This was another news item that came out on Monday, and the stock was down 13%. Which this is a pretty big company that actually raised three billion dollars of market cap. Christine, is this going to be a where there's smoke, there's fire kind of situation? It is. It could be. <laughs> We've yet to see the fire, but there is certainly smoke. Do you want to explain what that smoke is? All right. So we have a situation where we'll call them the two most important um, executives in the C-suite of Alexion have been shown the door. Now, you know, the official line is that the CEO uh, left because of personal reasons and the CFO 
has left to explore other opportunities, right? But that's that's boilerplate conversation that you know always comes out in the press releases. The reality is that somewhere along the line recently, both of these long-term executives, these people that have been employed for, for by Alexion for a decade, okay, have lost the confidence of the board. And you can't help but wonder if that loss of confidence stems from an investigation that's been ongoing at this company for the last you know month and a half um, into their sales practices. Right. So there were allegations made by a former employee about how their main drug, Soliris, is sold. And this caused Alexion to delay its filing of its 10Q for the third quarter with the SEC. In this latest press release, we hear that they are almost finished with this investigation that's going on, and they probably won't end up having to resubmit historical results. They're still expecting to submit this 10Q in January, which they better if they don't. That is bad news bears right there. But you have to think that the timing of this couldn't be coincidental. Yeah, I'm reading, I'm reading between the lines here, and, I, and I'm seeing that press release, and they're saying, we won't have to restate anything. That really doesn't that doesn't address the whole investigation. The investigation was into the sales practices and whether or not those sales practices um, were within their code of conduct. And you know, if I take that and I, I kind of extrapolate that out a little bit, you, you can't help but wonder whether or not there were, uh, dare I say, shenanigans um, that that may have been going on um, as far as either obtaining reimbursement or how they're handling. Um, uh, patients or whatever. I mean, investors have seen this over the course of the last year or so with a couple different companies, uh, Valiant obviously being one of them, uh, where there were some behaviors that were embraced in the sales force that weren't, um, we'll call it up to snuff or, or up to the sniff test. So that kind of begs the question, will this company be the next Valiant? Right. It's and it's way too soon to tell. And there's a lot of differences between this company and Valiant. I mean, this company, for one, is extremely profitable, right? So I, they're already making a lot of money. Right. The rare disease um, space is extremely lucrative. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think that you do have to look at that and you have to say, okay, well, you know, it, it, this Solaris is an extremely expensive drug. We're talking more than a half a million dollars. Uh, a year for this drug. It treats a very, very small patient indication. Addressable market's tiny. Um, So, you know, if you have anything that jeopardizes either their pricing power or their reputation um, among, you know, payers, prescribers, patients, um, then there could be some fallout um, that would be valiant-like, if you will. to this company, we just don't know, right? We have this this information gap that we're sitting in right now Absolutely. because we know that the leaders have been are gone, and we knew we know new leaders have been put in place. And both of those leaders, by the way, they're 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 solid people. I mean, you've got David Brennan taking over as CEO. Um, he came from AstraZeneca, but where that's he was the interim, right? He, yeah, he ran that for about six years. You've got. Um, uh, was it David? Is it, uh, yeah, the other David. David Anderson. He was. He's the CFO now. He was the CFO of Honeywell. Okay, so yes, and he did that job for a decade or so. Right, and he uh, came from uh, right as you mentioned Honeywell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are these are uh, highly talented uh, or experienced people that theoretically can navigate um, some pretty crazy waters. 
The question is, how crazy will those waters be? And investors just don't know. We don't know. Yeah, you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop there. And I will point out that given that David Brennan, the new interim CEO, is just that, a, a, a placeholder for now, there's an executive search firm that's been hired to find a permanent replacement. That, to me, suggests that this was abrupt, unexpected, and again, makes it seem like it's possibly due to some uncovered bad news. So, definitely yeah. something smells a little fishy here. Here's your hat, what's your hurry, right? What is that? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that, that saying, but here's your hat, what's your hurry? Huh. All right. <laughs> Basically showing showing them the door uh, relatively quickly, and and I I think that you have to wonder, you know, when you have someone from the board who's taking over now in that role, you're right. This is not what you call a a smooth and planned transition. Mm -hmm. So you look at this company; they've got Soliris. They also have a, another ultra rare disease drug called Strensic, and they also have another one called Kanuma. All three are very, very expensive. They are for ultra-rare diseases. The company's got a little over a billion in cash on the balance sheet. What do you think? Is is this dip a good buying opportunity, or what do you think? I am always very hesitant to buy. I, I don't think I don't necessarily know if this is a dip or if this is just you know the the, the pending beginning of an avalanche. Yeah. I, you know, well, it wouldn't I, even I be the beginning. This company's down forty percent year to date. Yeah, and yet it's still trading at what? You know, I mean, it's still a pretty highly priced stock. I mean, we won't we won't bring valuation to the issue on on, on biotech at this point, but you know, I, I think that there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of potential, like anything else we've talked about, Christine. It's a matter of diversification and risk tolerance when you're talking about biotech. Yeah. If you can't stand the thought that this stock could collapse another 50% from here, then you should not be investing in it, even if you feel it, it, that it's a quote-unquote on sale. Right. I kind of agree as well, but I think my personal risk tolerance might have just gone down temporarily after this optotech blow-up. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I can understand that. Yeah. Well, Todd, thank you so much for your insights, as always. Folks listening, do you have any questions for us? Or if you just want to say hey, shoot us an email. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com. You can also tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. Also, we are still compiling a list of investment book recommendations. So send them our way. And as always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks so much for listening, and Fool on!